Mark chapter 4, and I'll stop crying now, but Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34, again, is our text. We won't read it um, as we already have, and we'll, we'll address the verses as we go through them. But the title of our time together this morning is Kingdom-Mindedness, Kingdom-Mindedness. And I, I pray, uh, if you came today looking for a Mother's Day message, um, this is not titled a Mother's Day message, um, but I can't think of a better quality for a mother to have than to be a kingdom-minded mother. Um, that her desire is to see uh, the kingdom come to fruition in the lives of her children and those that they're around. And so I, I pray that as we go through this, uh, we wouldn't just have a singular focus, but we would see uh, the word of God as it's meant to be seen, as it applies to each of our lives. Let's pray again and ask God's blessing on his word. God, we thank you again for your love. We do pray this morning that as we look to your word, God, that you would guide our hearts, that your spirit would speak to us that we would be um, a people who have hearts that are ready to receive the word. And God, as we've already prayed, if there's any here who have never trusted Christ, we, we do pray today that they would come to the understanding through the scripture that without Christ, they have no hope in this life or the life to come. God, for those of us who are saved, I pray that, that we would also live like that, that we know there is no hope outside of Christ in this life or the life to come, and that we would give ourselves wholly to him, that he would be the Lord of our lives, and that our lives as individuals and collectively as a church would make a kingdom impact. We thank you, God, for the opportunity that you give us to serve you. Pray that we would take it seriously. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All the way back at the beginning of Mark, we saw that Jesus began preaching the kingdom message of repent and believe the gospel. From that point on, Jesus began to give us glimpses into the kingdom. Not just with the words that he would say, but with the things that he did. All of the kindness and the healings and the love that he showed day in and day out were in essence pictures of what the kingdom would eventually look like in its fullness. So to say that Jesus was a kingdom-minded man would be very accurate, for it's the kingdom that he came to reveal, and it's the kingdom that he came to point people to. This section of parables in the Gospel of Mark is the brunt of the parables that Mark records for us. He shares four here, and then throughout the book, uh, there's a few more uh, that, that we'll look at in our time. But in his writing, we understand that Mark was less focused at times on the things that Jesus said and more focused on the things that Jesus did. But even with that, the, the, the parables that Mark chooses here, uh, we understand are specific in nature, and they're intentional in purpose. Last week we saw the parable of the soils, and I pray today that as we look at this text that our hearts would again be ready to receive the word, and that as we receive the word, it would be planted deep in us, and that it would produce fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold, and as we said last week, that's not a comparison of a, of a poor Christian versus a great Christian, but it's a reality of how God works in us. Sometimes he produces much fruit, sometimes we go through seasons where it seems like not as much fruit is being, being produced, but we understand that as we abide in him, as Jesus says in the book of John, that we will find the fruit, being flir uh, find the fruit flourishing in our lives that he wants to bring about. And so as we begin today, I, I want to just ask you a simple question, and it's not in your outline, it's not on your notes, you can write it down if you want to. The question is simply this, would you say that you are a kingdom-minded person? Would you say that you are a kingdom-minded person? While that question is simple in nature, it is indeed deep in its scope. 
for it calls us to examine every area of our lives. As Mark records these parables for us, he does so with the desire of seeing our lives line up with Christ's life. From the get-go, we must understand that a blanket answer of yes would mean that we're being deceitful with ourselves, for, for this question really deserves time to examine every aspect of our lives. And I think, honestly, the best way to answer this question would be to simply say that I'm striving to be. It reminds me of what Paul says in Romans 7 where I don't always do what I should and I sometimes do what I shouldn't, but praise God that the Spirit is taking me through the process of sanctification and though I'm not what I one day will be, praise God that I'm not what I once was. And so if we answer this question honestly, I think that we'll find that is not simply what we do that is examined but also the desires behind what we do or the motives. And this is really how we become a kingdom-minded person, by being changed from the inside out. The big idea this morning is this. When we live, with a king, when we live as a kingdom-minded people, we will see the, the kingdom expand within us and around us. We started Mark's gospel, and even as we've talked through some of Matthew's gospels, We have said that this idea of the kingdom would signify the rule and reign of Christ. And so when the kingdom expands in us, what does that mean? It means that Christ is having more and more of us, that that we are more devoted to him than we've ever been before. And for the kingdom to expand around us, it means that Christ is taking ground that is rightfully his, that people are being saved, and that God is doing that work through us. Don't you want the kingdom work to be done through your life? Well, It starts on the inside and works its way out. And so before we can become overly passionate about others being saved, I firmly believe that we must be passionate about making sure our lives are lining up with the Word of God. And so as we look at this text today, I pray that we would allow the Spirit to search our hearts and that we would be compelled to be a kingdom-minded people until we see Christ face to face. Friend, if we are children of God today, then there is never a time when God says we can let up in our efforts of being a kingdom-minded people. But rather, he calls us to live with that mindset day in and day out. In the trials that we face, in the victories that, that are given to us, that we always live with the kingdom in mind. For when we live with the kingdom in mind, we will look like Christ and we will bring glory to the Father. So three things this morning out of this text. As we look at these three parables that hopefully will help us understand if we live with a kingdom-mindedness. The first thing is this, kingdom-minded people cleave to the word of God diligently. Kingdom-minded people cleave to the word of God diligently. In this first parable, the Bible says in verse 21, and he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, to him shall be given. And he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. So the first thing we see in being a kingdom-minded person is that kingdom-minded people cleave to the word of God diligently. 
Last week we talked about the sower and how he would go out and broadcast the seed from his leather bag and throw that seed everywhere hoping for an increase or a yield that would, would be beneficial to him and his family and his farm down the road. And they would cover all the ground that they could. They spread the seed diligently because they believed that that seed in some way was going to bring forth fruit. If a farmer was out planting his field thinking this isn't ever going to come to fruition, I'm never going to gain any fruit, I'm never going to get a harvest, really they, they wouldn't even go out and put the effort in because there would be no benefit, only a cost. But as we looked at the sower and the seed last week and as we looked at the soil, God revealed to us through his son Jesus Christ that when that seed falls on a soft ground, it always produces fruit. And what is the seed that we saw last week? The seed is the word of God. And so as Jesus picks up in this parable today, he's using what he taught last time to, to bolster what he's teaching this time. And Jesus told us last time that if we're going to understand any of the parables, which parable do we have to understand? The sower and the seed and the soils. And so Mark starts with that parable in his writing, and then he goes to these other parables to bolster this idea of the kingdom and the work of God. So Jesus begins with this illustration in this parable of a candle. He says, why do you bring a candle out? Do you bring it out to put it under a bushel or to put it under a bed? And the, the looks on people's faces, they were probably chuckling when Jesus said this. Because of course you wouldn't do that. A, a candle in those days would have been a clay bowl that was filled with some sort of oil and had a wick. And to place that candle under a bed would actually be quite dangerous, right? So Jesus says there's a purpose in lighting a candle. And only do you light a candle to blow them out on birthday parties, right? But that's not what Jesus is getting at. He says the reason that you light a candle, why? Is to make things seen. To uncover that which was covered in darkness. To make known that which was unknown. And I couldn't help but think, as Jesus was talking about the candle, candle that came to make things known, that in some way he was referring to himself who is the light of the world. But we also understand that as he is the light of the world, he has also called us to be the light of the world. That we would take his light and go into the darkness. John 8, 12 says that Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And as Jesus gave that promise, and as he's giving this parable here, the two go hand in hand because Jesus is saying, the more you follow me, the greater understanding you're going to have. The more you give yourself to the light, the more you cleave to the word who was made flesh, the, the more you're going to understand how it is that God desires for you and I to live. As these parables were being given Obviously, we understand that the disciples at times were scratching their heads, wondering what Jesus was talking about, wondering what Jesus was getting at. And in verse 23, Jesus says a familiar phrase, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say this in verse 24, take heed to what you hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you and unto you, that here shall more be given. As Jesus is talking about the revelation of the kingdom, the revelation of himself, the revelation of the truth of the gospel, Jesus is basically saying this, the more you understand, the more you cleave to what is being revealed to you, the more will be given to you. Does that make sense to you today? 
And so what does that look like in a practical way? Well, if we're here today and we're believers and we're not cleaving to the word of God, then guess what? We will not understand the word of God. As we are not cleaving to the word of God or following the things that God has called us to do in his divine revelation, then we're going to be confused when we come to a crossroads in life, not really knowing what we should do. And so Jesus' point in this parable is to say, hey, if you have ears to hear, make sure you're listening up. Make sure you're listening to the right thing. Make sure you're cleaving to the word of God diligently so that his word can become fully known in your life and through your life. So Jesus says, listen, if you have ears to hear, listen and take heed what you hear. Now, let's be honest, there's a lot of things to listen to in our world, isn't there? There's a lot of voices that are telling you to do this, that, and the other thing. There's a lot of voices that would seek to direct you in the direction that they want you to go. There's a lot of people who want to have influence in your life, and the influence they have is directly related to the weight that you give the words that they speak. But can I tell you today that there is actually only one who deserves to have the greatest influence in our lives, and it's Jesus. And how do we know Jesus? How do we know the life that Jesus lived? How do we know the things that Jesus wants us to do? How do we know what the the gospel is? How do we know truth versus lie? Well, we give ourselves to the word of God, the light that has been revealed. And as we give ourselves to that light, more light will come and we'll be strengthened in our faith, we'll be stronger as believers, and we'll be able to follow God in a way that we could never follow before. And so, friend, I would ask you today, do you cleave to the word of God diligently? Do we value the word of God in our lives? Oh, it's helpful from time to time. But do we truly value the word of God? That as it's opened up, that as it's preached, or as we read it in our own time, are we doing it out of tradition or out of obligation, or are we doing it because we want the light of the word of God to shine into the deepest parts of our heart, the parts that we would want nobody else to ever see, the parts that we would be embarrassed if other people saw them? Do we crave for the word to shine in the deepest parts of our hearts so that we can be made into the image of Jesus Christ? If we want to be like Christ, then we must be familiar with the word of God. And so do we crave, do we cleave to the word of God? Do we cleave to it diligently? When the word of God says one thing and culture says another thing, which do we give ourselves to? What the culture says because it's more comfortable, because it's easier, because people are going to more readily accept us? Or do we give ourselves to the word of God and allow that to guide our lives? The way that we raise our children and the way that we steward the resources that God has given us. Do, Do we think our wisdom is better than the word of God? How deceitful would we be if we did? And so Jesus, as he gives this first illustration, this first parable about the kingdom, he says this idea of the kingdom is being revealed to you. And what you do with what is revealed to you directly corresponds to what the future looks like for you. And so if you're here today and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, then initially the, the, the word, the light of the word has, has broken through the darkness of your heart and you are a believer But the Christian life doesn't stop there, friends. Daily, we have to give ourselves to the Word. Daily, we have to give ourselves uh, to this idea that the Word of God is valuable above everything else. So Jesus says, take heed what you hear, for with what you, you measure, you meet, 
It shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. Who wants to have all of Christ in them? We all do, I hope. Well, how does that become a reality? That all of the word is in us. But Jesus goes on. He says, for he that hath to him shall be given. We've already looked at this. And he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. Remember, Jesus is speaking of two groups of people here. He's speaking to those who had ears to hear, who heard the word. The word penetrated the heart. The, the, the word brought forth fruit. And the more fruit that comes, the more desire they're going to have to give themselves to the word of God. But in the end of this parable, in verse 25, Jesus says, for those who have heard the word and they do nothing with it, there could come a day when that word is taken from them. And the opportunity to respond to the word will be gone. Friends, at the very least, that happens at death. But I would dare say for, for many, for some, this idea of, of what's been given to them being taken away happens even before death because they so adamantly reject the word that was delivered to them. So this is why we compel people to trust Christ, not because it's of our power to see people come to faith, but for them to understand the weight of what is before them, that there is one way to enter into the kingdom, and it's not through your efforts, it's not through your goodness, it's not through your, your social efforts, it's through the, the, the word that was made flesh, Jesus Christ. When we understand this truth, those of us who are saved should cleave to the word more diligently so that Christ can have all of us. And for those who are not saved today, we pray that today you would take hold of that word, that it would plant itself deep in your heart so that you can become a child of God. So the first parable, the first point this morning is kingdom-minded people cleave to the word of God diligently. And as we leave today, I pray that you would examine your own heart in relationship to the word of God. Friends, I love Bibles. If you go in my office, you'll notice that I love Bibles. But do you know there's a big difference between loving Bibles and loving the Word of God? There's a huge difference. And you may say, I love the Word of God because I take care of my copy of the Bible. I'm glad that you take care of your copy of the Bible. But are you allowing your copy of the Bible to take care of you? Are you allowing that Word to be planted deep in your heart so that you would, you would desire to cleave to that Word more fully? I have more than I want to say there, but we'll move on. For time's sake, I'm sure everyone has Mother's Day plans. The second thing this morning is that kingdom-minded people put forth effort. They rest in God and anticipate the future. Kingdom-minded people put forth effort, rest in God, and anticipate the future. In verses 26 through 29, the Bible says this, And he said, So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth itself bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. So the second thing is, kingdom-minded people put forth the effort, they rest in God and anticipate the future. The illustration that Jesus shared last time, the parable of the seed and the sower, now comes on us again. And Jesus uses what was familiar to them to draw them into a deeper truth. He says, so is 
the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. And when you plant your gardens or you, you, uh, you put flower seeds into the ground, you know, you go out there and you do the work initially. In our day, we water and fertilize and spray insecticides and all this stuff. But in their day, they would literally just throw the seed on the ground and then they would come back at a later date. And what would be there? All these plants that were shooting up from the ground. And this is what Jesus says. This is what the kingdom of God is like. The seed is planted in the ground and much time goes by, night and day, sleeping and laboring, doing other things. And all of a sudden you come back and you look and the kingdom or the, the seed has taken root and it's come up to the soil. And before long, you've got to break out the sickle. Why? So you can cut down that wheat and you can enjoy the harvest. Jesus says this is exactly what the kingdom is like. That as the seed of the word is planted in our heart, that sometimes well, I shouldn't say sometimes, most of the time, God does a work in us that we don't even understand. But guess what happens as time goes on? The more seed that's planted in our hearts, the more we give ourselves cleaving to the word of God more diligently. God begins to do a gospel work in us and he transforms us not from the outside in as religion would say, but from the inside out that this word as it's poured into our hearts, as it begins to take root, it begins to change everything about us. And so what is Jesus saying? I think it's twofold. First off, he's talking about a gospel harvest, this idea that we put forth the word of God liberally, not being judgmental in who we share the gospel to, not being critical in who we withhold the gospel from, but we continually give forth the word of God. And at times, friends, I'll be honest with you, there are days when I say to myself, man, God is not doing anything. And then you know what happens? All of a sudden, God brings a gospel harvest that we never even knew was going to exist. That the seed takes root in the hearts of individuals, that it plants itself deeply in their hearts and it springs forth with new life. And the first thing that Jesus is alluding to is this idea of the gospel bringing people into the kingdom. But we can't just stop with that application because this illustration also works in the lives of believers. How many of you have seen God do a work in your heart through his word and you didn't notice it until you noticed it, if that makes sense? You thought to yourself when you were in any given situation, man, in my previous days, I would have responded so differently. Man, the words that I used to say in this moment, I don't have a desire to say those. The desires that I once had are not there anymore. The, the people even that I want to spend the majority of my time with, those desires are, are fleeing. They're, they're, they're fleeing from me. And this is what Jesus is saying. There's a gospel harvest when the word takes root in the lives of individuals and they come into the kingdom through recognizing that Jesus is the savior of the world. But there's also a harvest when believers allow the word to be planted in their hearts continually and God changes them from the inside out. Last week, we asked the question, who has areas in their lives that still need to look a little more like Jesus? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because for some reason, we really struggle with this. Let, let's, well, let's try it. If you have a hand, raise your hand. Let's, I just want to see. You guys can do it. This is incredible. Proud of you. Some things just make a pastor's heart swell. That was one of them. But if you're living and breathing today and you are a believer then understand this, that there's still a work for the word to do in your heart. And there always will be. 
until Jesus calls you home. If you're sitting in your seat today thinking, man, I, I'm already, I've got this nailed down, then you're deceiving yourself. If you're thinking in your life there's no area that you need to grow in, then you're lying to yourself and you're going you're, you're gonna to create a wall between you and the work of God and you won't get to partake in or enjoy the benefits of the word of God because you're not giving yourself fully to his word. And so Jesus, as he gives this illustration, he says the seed is cast and it brings forth fruit. And then when the fruit comes up, the blade cuts down and it's the idea of a harvest. And friends, there is a kingdom harvest that takes place when people trust Christ as their savior. And there's a kingdom harvest that takes place when God gains a little more ground in the lives of those who are already in the kingdom. And so I would ask you today, are you a kingdom-minded person? Are you putting in the effort when it comes to sharing the gospel? You say, well, that, that's scary. <laughs> I get it. There, there have been many times where I have been fearful to share the story of the gospel. But my job is not to give in to my fears. My job is to follow the Spirit. And where the Spirit is, there's liberty. And God will open up doors that we can walk through. And so we put forth the effort. But the second part is, what does the farmer do after he spreads the seed? Does he hound the seed? Does, does, does he dig up the seed every day to see how it's doing, if it's germinated yet? No, he leaves the seed in the ground. And that's for us when we rest in the work of God. That with a clear conscience, as Paul said, we've preached the word to everybody. My conscience is clear. And it's up to God to do the work in the hearts of individuals. And I've been guilty before of desiring to hound people into getting saved. Friend, I'm not the Holy Spirit. My job is to faithfully give the word and to faithfully live the word and to rest in God, but not just rest in God, but also at the very same time, anticipate the future. When we were driving the truck yesterday, you don't know, you probably do actually, how badly I wanted to coax Charlotte into receiving Christ. Why? Because I love my daughter. And I want her to be a, not a part of just my earthly family, but I want her to be adopted into the family of God. But I can't coax her into praying a prayer. Why? Because as the seed is given, and as she thinks through that seed, and as that seed takes root in her heart, if it's me who does the work, then her salvation won't be real. But if it's God who does the work, her salvation will never be taken from her. And I want a girl who is confident in her faith that Jesus is her Savior and that she's not saved because mommy and daddy told her to get saved. She's saved because the Spirit did a work in her heart that she could not ignore. And however old she is, whether it's five or 55, that she bows at the foot of the cross and receives Jesus into her heart. And that's why we give the word, we rest in God, and we anticipate the future. We look for the harvest. Yesterday I was mowing the lawn. And you know what my prayer was? God, I pray that your word would do a work in people's hearts. What is that work? I don't know. Because I don't know everybody's heart. But I do know that God's word is capable to meet every heart where it's at and do the work that needs to be done. And if you're looking for me to do a work in your heart, then you will be disappointed every single Sunday. But if we come in anticipating that God's going to do a work in our heart through his word, 
then every Sunday we will be blessed and we will be fed. And so first off, kingdom-minded people cleave to the word of God diligently. The light has been shined into our hearts and we give ourselves to that light so that we will become more like Christ. The second thing this morning is kingdom-minded people put forth the effort, they rest in God, and they anticipate the future. We're faithful to sow the word, both in the lives of the lost, but also in our own hearts. And then we allow God to cultivate that work in us, to to see that seed come to, to full fruitfulness. And we anticipate the harvest that is going to come in both of these areas. Thirdly, today... Kingdom-minded people see the kingdom not for what they want it to be, but for what it is. Kingdom-minded people see the kingdom not for what they want it to be, but for what it is. In verse 30, Jesus says, and he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or what comparison shall we compare it? And I imagine as the disciples heard those words, they're thinking to themselves, Oh, the kingdom of God, it, it's got to be like Solomon's kingdom and all of its glory and all of its grandeur. It, it's got to be compared to something like that. Or maybe the queen of Sheba who came to see Solomon's kingdom. Maybe those two things compared. Or maybe David's kingdom with all his might and all his ability. Maybe the kingdom of God is going to be like that. And in their minds, they're thinking through all these scenarios of what the kingdom could be compared to. And as they're sitting there daydreaming, Jesus says, what shall we like in the kingdom of God or what comparison shall we compare it jesus says it's like a grain of mustard seed how disappointed they must have been in that moment right a mustard seed jesus says this is this is the smallest of the seeds that they were sowing in that region in that time it's not the smallest of all seeds but it is definitely a small seed And when they're thinking about what the kingdom could be compared to, they're thinking of all the glory and all the grandeur and all the splendidness that they could come up with in earthly terms. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Maybe a little disheartened in this moment. Maybe Jesus had to go around and pick up every one of their jaws as it was uh, hitting the ground. We don't know exactly what took place. But we know as a master teacher... Jesus was able to take this picture and translate it into something that likely would blow their minds. A mustard seed. A mustard seed, Jesus says, when it's sown, it's, it, I'm sorry, in verse 31, it's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. So Jesus says the kingdom is like a mustard seed. And this, these parables are really about the expansion of the kingdom. As we give ourselves to the light, we get more light. As, as the word of God is sown in our hearts, there's a great harvest that we can't even comprehend. And the expansion of the kingdom that Jesus is using here is the mustard seed. This mustard seed, when it's, when it's sown into the ground, Jesus says when it comes forth, it's greater than all the other herbs that are in the garden. And these mustard seeds would produce not really a tree, more like a bush or a shrub that would be as big as, as 15 feet. So it's, it's really quite awesome that you think a little bitty, little tiny seed could spring forth something so great. And Jesus says, that's exactly what the kingdom of God is like. Let me ask you this, church. Does the world appreciate the message of the kingdom? 
Does the message of the kingdom do more good than the world could ever do? Absolutely. That's what Jesus is saying. That this little bitty seed that the world would discount and the world would discredit and the world wouldn't even necessarily care about, the the seed that you didn't even think of when I said, let's compare something uh, to the kingdom, Jesus said, that's what the kingdom is like. It's sown into the ground and it becomes greater than all the other herbs in the, the garden. It shoots out branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge and find the shadow of it as as a comfort and as a refuge. And we have to do some work here, because what is Jesus saying? Well, in their mind, in a Jewish culture, especially for the Jews that, that would have been listening on this day, what was their mind for the kingdom? It was a kingdom for them. It was a kingdom that would would overthrow all the other kingdoms, especially as they found themselves in in oppression and under Roman rule. They they didn't want to be there. So as Jesus gives this idea that the parable of the, the mustard seed, as it springs forth, as it becomes great, understand this, that the kingdom that Jesus was talking about was even far greater than the kingdom that the Jews were anticipating. And that's part of the reason why Judas became so upset. That's actually why, why many people distance themselves from the kingdom because it wasn't what they wanted. But as our third point says, kingdom-minded people see the kingdom not for what they want it to be, but for what it really is. And for those who see the kingdom for what it is, there's more to the story than we could even ever imagine. Because as I said, as Jesus came to this earth, he was giving glimpses into the kingdom. Every healing that took place was a picture of a greater healing that would one day take place. Every kind word that was spoken, every, every authoritative word that Jesus spoke was really just a kingdom of some, a picture of something that was to come in, in a future time and in a greater way. And so kingdom-minded people don't just see what they want to see, but they see it for what it is. And friend, if you're here today and you're thinking that entering into the kingdom of God, that God is just going to make everything better for you, It didn't happen for the disciples. They they lived difficult lives. But why why did they give themselves to it? Because they began to see Christ's picture of the kingdom and not their own picture of the kingdom. You see, when you have your own idea of what the kingdom is in your mind, when that doesn't come to fruition, what do you do? You bail. I'm out. It's not what I thought it was going to be. It's not what I even want. So I'm going to walk away. And those are the people that Jesus described last week in the soils. That Some people never actually received the word. But for those who truly receive the word and their minds are changed and their hearts are changed and their lives are changed by the preaching of Jesus, by the message of the kingdom, they begin to see the kingdom not for what they want it to be, but they see it for what it is. And while this parable would have caused the disciples to scratch their heads in this moment, thinking the kingdom is like a mustard seed, one day they understood that truth. Why? Because we see them taking the gospel to the ends of the world. And those who didn't belong in the kingdom found rest and comfort and hope in the kingdom. Now, in parables, a lot of things are symbolic, and we have to be careful not to say that every symbol is the same. Last week, we heard Jesus say that when the birds swooped in and ate the seed, who was that a picture of? Satan. Well, in this picture that Jesus gives, the birds that come and find rest in the branches, friends, that's you and I. We're not a part of the mustard seed. 
but we find rest in what the mustard seed has done. There are some who want to say that, that the birds would be unsaved people who attach themselves to the church and all this stuff, and, and they go down these long rabbit trails of trying to explain it. Friend, just say what the Scripture says. As the branches shoot forth, the fowls of the air lodge under it, and they find the shadow of it. They find a reprieve that everything else uh, has, from everything else that the world has thrown at them. They find a rest that nothing else could offer them. And they find, find it in a place that, that when it started was insignificant. And so kingdom-minded people see the kingdom for what it is, that it's an all-encompassing reality, that all uh, from, from every part of the world are welcome to come as they come in the way that Jesus prescribes to them in repentance and in faith, believing that Jesus truly is the Savior of the world. And the reach of the kingdom. While it is mainly for salvation, we understand the reach of the kingdom has done a great deal of good all around the world. I love what John Phillips says on this. He says, people have a poor opinion of God's work in this world, but it's actually vast. It reaches into many lands. On the day of Pentecost alone, 5,000 souls were born into that kingdom. Who can tell how many have been saved every day since that day? The Holy Spirit himself superintends the work, and he cannot fail no matter what people think. The kingdom of God on earth in our day is represented by the church, the body of Christ. Everywhere the kingdom has, of God has gone, it has brought with it hospitals and schools and truth and morality and ethics and decency and compassion and above all, salvation. Wherever the gospel is gone, it's abolished cannibalism, child sacrifice, the immolation of widows, polygamy, demonism, slavery, and a thousand other such ills. It has built orphanages and asylums, cared for the sick, comforted the bereaved, and helped the infirm. In many lands, even secular government have taken color from its creeds. Friends, when the church does its job, when we show to the world the truth of the gospel, when we reveal to them the truth of the kingdom, good happens all around us as an overflow. Now, is the point of the kingdom to build hospitals? No. But have a lot of Christian hospitals been built because of the kingdom? Absolutely. My mind goes to the, the Kirby's in South Africa. They're doing a kingdom work. And what did they do it through? Starting an orphanage. Starting an orphanage. Some people would say, well, that's, that's a social work, not a kingdom work. Friend, if they're doing it for the kingdom, then guess what? It is a kingdom work. Yeah. And so every part of our lives can be lived to advance the kingdom. For the, for the moms here today who sometimes find themselves wishing for something more, can I encourage you to do the work of the kingdom day in and day out? Why? So that you can see a gospel harvest in the lives of your children. For the dads in here who find themselves thinking that they, they don't do a good enough job at what they're doing and providing for their family and leading them in the way that they should. Friend, do what you do for the sake of the kingdom and God will, will reward it. For the kids in here today who, who find themselves in difficult spots in school where, where you have to learn things that you don't even want to learn. Can I encourage you to learn for the sake of the kingdom? To be salt and light in the place that God has you? So those around you can see the truth of the gospel. But what about the old guys, the retired people? Can I encourage you to believe that God could do more in the time that you have left than he has in the time that you've had so far? 
You see, that's what being a kingdom-minded person is. That in every avenue, in every aspect of my life, I'm not seeing the kingdom for what I want it to be, but I'm seeing the kingdom for what God says it is. And I'm going to be involved in a kingdom work that, that I don't even understand at times. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says the seed goes into the ground, and before long that seed takes root and it springs forth, and it gives a, a, a safe haven for all these fowls of the air to come and find shelter in Friend, can we share with the world the one who is the greatest safe haven? Jesus Christ. That in all we do, that in all we say, we would make his kingdom known and not our own. When it comes at great cost and inconvenience, may we double down even harder to say, though this is not what my flesh wants in the moment, I'm going to live for the sake of the kingdom. Why? Because that's what God has called us to do. So wherever, wherever you find yourself, Whatever you find your hand doing, can I encourage you to do all to the glory of God? And whether that's work or play, whether that's raising children or planting flowers in your garden, do all for the glory of God. When people ask you about situations in your life, be quick to point the finger away from yourself and point it to the one who has given you hope. Point it to the one who has given you success in all things, even if the world looks at your life and says you're successful at nothing. You know that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And looking into the crowd, I think there's a few foolish people in here that God could use. Can we be eager about the kingdom work, friend? Can we not mistake our kingdom for the kingdom? But can, can we live for him? Above all, in verses 3 and 34, Jesus, or Mark, kind of wraps up these parables, and he says, And with many such parables spake he the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them, and when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. Mark is wrapping up. The parables by reminding us that some were confused and some were disillusioned by the parables, but for those who had ears to hear, these parables were life-giving. As the disciples walked away from this encounter with Jesus on this day, I guarantee they never looked at a mustard seed in the same way. Every time they saw a mustard plant, they said, that's a picture of the kingdom. And those birds that are benefiting from something that they, they didn't do, friend, that is a picture of you and I. We didn't plant the seed, and we're not the seed. We're just benefiting from the seed that was planted, and we have find rest and shelter and protection in the kingdom of God. Jesus' invitation in Matthew, I know I share it a lot, but it's one that I love. You know what he says to those who are outside the kingdom? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I guarantee there's people in this room today who through their own efforts have been saying, I'm going to find shelter for myself. I'm going to find something to take refuge in on my own. I'm going to find something to give me hope through my own power. Friend, if that's you today, then, then at the end of your life, you will be lost and hopeless because the only hope that can last both now and eternity is the hope that Jesus provides in himself and the only way to enter into the kingdom that Jesus described in his word is by coming in the way that he has given. So friend, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I pray that today 
that as the Spirit works in your heart, that you would understand that there's something greater to give yourself to than even yourself. And it is the person of Jesus Christ. So we started, we said that Jesus began his ministry by preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And what was that gospel? Repent and believe. I wonder today, will you repent and believe? Will you turn from your sins? Five-year-old Charlotte could tell me what repentance was. But understand this, friend. It's not enough to know what repentance is. Repentance has to be something that has happened in your life. Where you have turned from your sin, from yourself, from your efforts, and you've turned to the person of Jesus Christ resting in him alone. The Bible says that if we come to him in that way, then we will be saved. And for those of us today who are here and we are a part of the kingdom, can I ask you, are you a kingdom-minded person? Is every part of you committed to the kingdom cause, to the kingdom efforts? We know the answer to that question is, is no. But what should our prayer be? That today I might be a little more kingdom-minded than I was yesterday. That today Jesus would, would have a little more of my heart than he had the day before. That today I would bow to his lordship a little bit more than I ever have before. And as we go through this process of sanctification, through both trials and victories, as we bow to him, as we surrender to him, we will see the kingdom expand within us, meaning that he's going to have more of us than he ever had. But friend, we'll also see the kingdom expand outside of us, that we'll be interested in doing a work for the sake of the kingdom. God, we love you, and we thank you for this time that we can look to your word.